Welcome to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas, my podcast that tries to bring a rational perspective and sort out some of the most controversial issues of today. I'm pleased to have, as a guest, the Most Reverend Salvatore J. Cordiglione, who was the Archbishop of San Francisco. Uh, he was appointed Archbishop back in 2012 after attending uh, public schools and graduating from San Diego's Crawford High School and then the University of San Diego with a BA in philosophy. He then studied in Rome and back in the U.S. to complete a doctoral degree at Gregorian University uh, and has gone on to be a, quite an outspoken person, very importantly here in the San Francisco Bay Area on very important and traditional issues relevant to Catholicism, but also to contemporary life, including the definition of marriage, um, religious freedom, of course, particularly during uh, the pandemic. We'll be talking about some of these many issues, uh, including uh, bringing us his perspective on the importance to society of religion today and where do we go from here uh, in a time of relative crisis, really, where there's been a loss of anchor of morality and an ethical life. Very important, of course, particularly in the heterogeneous society that we live in. So thanks for joining us and stay tuned. Okay, welcome. Uh, Archbishop Cordiglione, great to see you again. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure, thank you for having me. I thought I would start with uh, diving right into things. You, you've been very outspoken as the Archbishop of San Francisco about many things, pro-life views, uh, defining marriage as a union between a man and a woman, as well as focusing on uh, other issues that are very important in San Francisco, particularly today, including the homeless population. Uh, for instance, you offered a requiem mass for homeless people who have died. Uh, you said at one point that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who is a San Francisco Democrat and uh, says she's a Catholic, uh, shouldn't receive communion because of her staunch political support for abortion. And when questioned about that, you cited Pope Francis, who always reminds bishops like yourself, uh, quote, to think and speak as pastors, not politicians. I'm not a Catholic, but I don't find your positions very controversial, given that you are a Catholic in the priesthood and an archbishop, a very prominent person in Catholicism. So I'm sort of confused about why your views are viewed as uh, controversial. And perhaps you can uh, shed light on maybe what that says about the state of religion today or even American culture uh, in a broader sense. Well, my goodness, there's a lot to say there. Each one of those, there's so much to unpack in each one of those that you, that you brought up. Um, but I mean, I'm is... shocked. I have to say before you start, I'm shocked that your views as a Catholic priest are controversial. Uh, and maybe you can, I think it says something that people uh, are shocked by a Catholic priest saying traditional views that are inherently inherent to Catholicism. 
the views themselves are controversial in society. And that gets to your last question about what did this say about the state of our society? The views themselves, I don't think are controversial within the church. There may be some people, but uh, my sense is more the being outspoken about them um, may cause some people to feel uncomfortable. But, you know, this is a challenge the church has dealt with from time immemorial, that when when it's in conflict with the kind of predominating values of a society, uh, what is the reaction? You know, there's some within the church that would want to try to cooperate, go along, do as much as they can, and others who would be stronger in in resisting. And uh, to be honest, my my inclination is always to try to come to some mutual consensus or, or an agreement or or, or figure out a solution and try to cooperate. Um, but right. I think getting to this point that the state of society is so bad now and so intolerant that even these basic ideas like protecting life in the womb or that, that marriage being for the good of a child to be able to connect, be connected with the child's mother and father are now they're controversial in the society and there's even resistance among people of faith to want to strongly advocate for the, these things uh, says a lot about the sort of intolerant state of our society and almost, I would say, irrational, as you said, a leader in a, of a religious community such as a Catholic, the Catholic religion, others, many others share these same values of ours. It shouldn't be controversial, but uh, I think there's also a problem in our society of people being judged by a stereotype the media kind of creates an image and then they're judged by that stereotype rather than getting to actually know the person. Uh, so I've been working at this a lot for a long time, certainly since I've been in San Francisco and even before to help people get to know me and I get to know people. So I'm not going to be so judgmental of other people either. Uh, so I, I think it doesn't necessarily change our opinion on things, but it does help to create a more civil uh, society we try to understand the humanity of the other person, even though they hold Absolutely. a view that I might sharply disagree with. Yes, and I, and I think you touch on so many things uh, because uh, I agree. I, there is a lack of tolerance for even the discussion of views that people may disagree with, and it often has turned into, over the past several years, I think we've seen this, an, a, a lack of civility. Uh, for for uh, is a way that I talk about it. The civil discussion of differences uh, seems to be disappearing here. And I think that this was exacerbated uh, to some extent by the pandemic and the stresses of society and also by a lack of leadership. And we can talk about that a little later. But let's let's make a, a transition to talking about your personal story on the pandemic. You're a a leader of uh, a very important faith in this country, and uh, certainly during a a panic, during a time of crisis, during a time of fear and fear about death. Uh, to me, just looking at it in a logical way, that's the time where people need their faith. And yet there was a clear move uh, to stop the practice of religion. Maybe you could uh, enlighten our listeners and review 
what happened uh, in your area of the country here. Oh, thank you for that opportunity. Yes, this became very, it was very disturbing to me what, what we experienced. Like I said, like, like most other leaders in my faith, in a way, we want to cooperate with government leaders and community leaders to care for the good of our people. And when the uh, pandemic was, was first starting and it looked like they were talking about this shelter in place, uh, we didn't, there was much we didn't know about it. Certainly there was fear. So we voluntarily suspended our public worship services and dispensed people from going to church on Sunday before everything totally shut down uh, because they're trying to be responsible and cooperative. As uh, you will recall, well, you more than anyone, the original idea was two weeks to flatten the curve and then we could begin to so emerge. But then this went on and on and on. And, and I, then I began to notice how others were being allowed to open up and to resume activities and we were being kept shut down. So the, uh, so, for example, uh, after the George Floyd incident, when there was all the street protests, uh, I I asked, well, why can't why can't we have our religious services outside? We can keep people six feet apart, and they were allowing people to go into the parks. And when I asked that, I was told that well, in the parks they have those circles. People stay inside the circles from the same household, and they're six feet apart. I said, well, we can mark our outdoor space. Our services are stationary. The people are stationary. So we can make sure they right. stay feet apart outside. And he said, well, but you can't convene people to an event, even if it's outside. Well, the street protests were going on and they were, it was being published online when and where they were taking place. There, there was a limit of 12 and uh, the, uh, there were way more than 12 people at these street protests. They weren't consistently six feet apart. The city not only allowed it; the city participated in it. They used the in the protest hall. They used the city podium. The mayor spoke at one of them. Uh, then, uh, and yet we're confined to to twelve, and that that was already um, a, a concession in May. So in, in San Francisco in May, uh, religion was still religious worship services were still forbidden, but they asked. Houses of Worship to submit a safety plan, which we had one. Uh, it, uh, a little after that was scientifically proven to be effective. This was in May. And, of 2020. Uh, May of 2020. Things started opening up. Then uh, I was contacted by the mayor's office in the middle of May, and I was told that the, the reproductive rate or reproduction rate, I believe it's called, how many people you, one infects if one is infected. Of the uh, virus, it, yes. Yes. So it was at 0.96. And I was told it's been holding for two weeks under one. If it can stays under one for two more weeks, we'll be able to resume worship. Well, it stayed at 0.96 for the next two weeks. And uh, for us, it was Pentecost Sunday was the last day of the month of May. So that's an important day for us as Christians. So I was hoping we could return then. Well, then toward the end of the month, I was told that even though it held a 0.96, they needed more time just to be sure. And I asked, well, what more did they learn? Well, they didn't say. They said, well, they want to make sure they don't overrun the hospitals. I knew the hospitals were not being overrun because of a parishioner of ours who works in the, in the hospital. I knew that they weren't being overrun. But he said, but for sure, now at this point, we, there was no worship allowed at all. He said, for mm -hmm. sure, by the middle of May, according to the city health order. 
So I told my priest to get ready. We had our safety plan. I said, get ready. We may have to make modifications depending on the city's health order. Well, the city's health order, this it did, yes, resume in the middle of June, but it was, this is when they limited to 12 people and only outside. However, it's allowed to live stream a service inside the house of worship, and you can have as many people there as you need to live stream and conduct the service up to 12. I thought, okay. well, what's that? You mean the image, how the virus knows that people are inside of church to attend a service or to live stream it? It's a very smart virus. You can't I, underestimate I, I, the intelligence of the virus. Yes. So then, uh, uh, then I was starting to be cited as being out of compliance with the health order because I told my priests to leave the churches open during the day. For In our churches, there's sacred space for private prayer as well as a, a, a worship service. So I said, at, at least for people to have access to a sacred space. Well, I was being accused of violating the health order. And I found out people were spying on our churches. They would notify the city attorney. And then I'd, I'd get uh, cited by him, he'd email me a letter or something like that, and then it get reported in the newspaper. In, in one case, after he sent me a letter, our our legal counsel, one hour after I received the letter, uh, received a phone call from a reporter asking about the letter. Well, obviously, had a copy of the letter because of the questions that were being asked. So this sort sure. of thing continued for a while. I met with the, the mayor in the, the middle of July, and I asked why, they, at this point, they were letting the stores go back into operation. Stores had submitted a safety plan. They got approved, and, you know, 50% capacity and other safety measures. I said, you never responded to our safety plan. We sent them back in May, and ours has been proven to work, and uh, there's why can they go to a store and not into a church? And the health officer told me that, well, um, when you go into a store, you make a purchase and you leave, so you're not in there for very long. The problem is when people stay inside for an extended period of time, the virus circulates and it's higher risk of infection. And I said, well, yes, in a convenience store, but not in a department store. People can spend an hour, two hours in a department store, maybe even three hours. They're moving around, they're touching things, whereas our services... The people are stationary. We keep them six feet apart. When they come up for communion, we can make sure they stay six feet apart. We can distribute communion safely. We have ways of doing this. It's, it's been proven. The only response I got is, it's much safer to do it outdoors. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what the what the, your mistake was. Your mistake was you believed in facts and logic and common sense. And That's, you also didn't, yeah, you, you didn't understand that the rules were so arbitrary and poorly thought out and based on nothing. Uh, and it's very, it's very, you know, I joke about it, but it's actually very serious because I mentioned this before and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. Throughout a pandemic, you could make the case that in a situation like that, there is no greater need for access to religion, to faith, uh, to all the things that people get out of religion in their lives, including people who are not very religious, but who just needed it at the time of stress. I mean, this seems to be one of the most egregious violations of civil liberties, not just simply technically, but in a, in a bigger sense uh of, of simple human decency. I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on 
the loss of religious freedom in a time of great need? And and also, why do you think it was that many people uh, can draw the conclusion uh, that it was churches and religious practice that was somehow singled out as opposed to stores, grocery stores, uh, a variety of other venues? Certainly people need faith more than ever at a time of a pandemic, and they need uh, and they need to be with their fellow believers. This is what really disturbed me because the, all government officials I spoke with here in San Francisco in the state of California agreed with that. They, they affirmed what we're trying to do and the importance of faith, and they're trying to make it work, but yet they kept us shut down, and they acknowledged the harms that people were suffering with the loss, with the, the difficulty in practicing there, and the mental illness, the right. increased anxiety and domestic violence, drug overdoses and suicide, it, and they, they were concerned about that, but yet they kept us uh, locked out of, of, of our worship. And I mean, at, at one point when I met with the health office, this was in, in June, so we were toward the end of June, so it was 12 people only outdoors, and I, I was complaining because they were letting others go into operation. And, and he said that, uh, well, he had this two-phase plan for two more weeks at 12, and then we can expand it after that if, if nothing unforeseen happens, such as an earthquake. He said that literally, such as an earthquake. Uh, this was on Tuesday. On Monday of that week, the day before, they noticed it was starting to increase. So they already knew there was a slight increase. In, in the infection rate, and it continued to. So by the end of the week, this is a long story, it kept changing every day, and sometimes within a day, what sure. was going to happen. At the end of the week, they said, no, they can't reopen. Uh, but what he told me was this two-phase approach, and then he said, I give you, the exact quote, I give you my word, I'm ex absolutely committed to making this work. And then he kept us shut down. The story right. that it's late on in the middle of July, he was on the meeting I had with the mayor by Zoom, and uh, he said it's much safer to go outside. So, this was really disturbing me because they're affirming what we're saying about people need to practice their faith, they need access to their faith community, all the mental harm, and mental illness that's it's causing, and yet, in the end, they didn't care. Right, because it's ultimately they did not care about the welfare of their people. They cared right? about controlling us, and they were making arbitrary, bizarre, completely irrational judgments based on nothing. And uh, you know, I have to say, uh, it's very frustrating. But it's it's far worse than that. We have people in charge who are really not uh, not smart people. And the definition of smart to me is to be able to use critical thinking. Uh, they're not interested in the good of the people. Uh, they have other interests. I don't know what they are because it's almost inexplicable. And finally, my, my uh, sort of general feeling about people is that you judge them on their actions, not their words. So while it doesn't surprise me that they said oh, they were all in agreement with what you were saying and the importance of it, et cetera. The only thing that counts is what they did, frankly, at least in my view. Uh, and and uh, I think we have a lot of uh, a lot in common the way we, we look at things, you and I, over the times that we've uh, spoken about things. But I think it's rather obvious that uh, actions 
hate to be trite, but actions speak louder than words. Do you think that uh, there was a singling out of shutting down religion? Uh, and I'm I'm asking that for also uh, the the sense and the documented data that there's been a marked increase in recent years on attacks on churches, including but not only on Catholic churches, uh, and and I think this is a very very concerning, you know, a uh, statement about American culture. Uh, so uh, if you agree that re- the churches were sort of singled out, is it simply because the people in charge are not very religious? Uh, or is there something uh, more in that is, are, are, is religion even more marginalized today, at least by people in power or by a vocal group of people? Well, religion is seen as marginal. It's seen as something, it's seen as a hobby. You know, it's not, it's not part of the fabric of our society anymore. And I think, I don't know if at first there was a d- explicit desire to shut down religion. Uh, it could be that they just thought, well, remember they were deciding what is essential and what is not. Here we are. Right. Where does the government business have authority to say some, one person's activity is essential and the other is not? I acknowledge they have authority to tell us what we have to do to protect for public safety, but they they should issue those health orders, and then if people can conduct their business in accordance with it, do so. But they're getting on their high horse and saying you're essential and you're not. Exactly. Say, I often I often ask in in that same line. I often ask, aren't schools an essential business of the United States because they shut down schools? And similarly, isn't the practice of religion an essential part of life for an enormous percentage of And the problem with with the issue of religion is government has no business here to begin with. Government also doesn't have the right to say religion is essential. That's right. Separation of church and state, which we know is not in the Constitution, the concept is there, means, means that government stays out of the church's business. And the church doesn't run the government. So, I mean, there's some intersection here. I mean, as faith leaders, you know, we, we have to be a voice of conscience. We have to give, provide moral guidance for the policies of our society, of our government. And, you know, the government has a right, like I said, to tell us how to protect people. But, but the government has no right to say we are not essential. It, it, it can't issue a health order that's so restrictive as to, in fact, ban public worship. But I think they just saw, I mean, Marijuana dispensaries were essential. Worship services were not in, in their right. mind. Here in San Francisco, as time dragged on and I was getting resistant, we were being targeted. Like I said, they were spying on our churches, reporting to the city attorney. Then it'd be uh, written about in the newspaper. I started I mean, these- this multi- is very, very concerning to me, this idea, and it was true throughout the United States and many countries that- individuals were spying on and reporting their fellow citizens. This is exactly like, there is nothing different about that than what we saw in Nazi Germany or in the Stasi of East Germany and the secret police where individuals were turned against each other and reporting their neighbors and friends to be arrested. I, I think this is one of the most, the darkest turns certainly of my lifetime, uh, what we've seen in the United States with this, 
it's it is bigger than religion and religious targeting but there was a mentality here uh that you you are that this is the lack of human civility the lack of human decency the lack of uh, of uh, kindness to your fellow man and i just think this is this is a very very dangerous part of our society you know in a in a bigger picture uh you said religion is now viewed as a hobby, as it's been marginalized, and of course that there's no there's no doubt about that. Um, I wonder uh, if it's even bigger than that, though, and that is, I think we are all witnessing an attack by a certain population of people on all traditional values that defined this country, the success of Western civilization. Uh, and uh, the effect of that, of course, to tear down and destroy the traditional values is to make people dependent on something uh, bigger, but that bigger entity is only a centralized government, really. There is no other anchor of personal morality or human decency. What, what, what do you think about that kind of discussion? Uh, oh, yeah, I do. I think, I think um, there's a a secular belief system that is its own religion. It has the markings of a religion. It has infallible dogmas, for example, that it's forcing on the populace. Um, it punishes dissenters. Uh, it has its, its rituals and, and its, its saints and martyrs. Uh, it's, so it has these markings of a religion and it's forcing its, and it's allowing no space for other beliefs. So these encroachments on religious uh, religious freedom, you know, we have organizations or institutions of the famous Little Sisters of the Poor case, they're requiring a group of nuns who give up everything, forsake all worldly pursuits, bow themselves to a life of poverty in order to serve the elderly poor. Uh, they're being required to cover contraception in their uh, insurance policy. Uh, the uh, um, adoption agencies, our own Catholic Charities adoption agencies, have been run out of business. They had to shut down because they will put, they look for families with the intact family, mother and father, to place the children. And if they don't put them in other situations, then they can't operate. So there's no room for. And then, then of course, we have the the uh, individual business people, the florists, the photographers, um, and and so forth that. Uh, the bakers, right, that have been have been sued for not affirming really what is the belief of this secular system of belief. So there, these restrictions have been, and then during, as you said, it, it was sort of exasperated or exposed during during COVID when even the core. So religious liberty is more than just being having a right to go to a church and worship. Uh, it's right. practicing one's faith according to one's conscience and moral values in public. That aspect was being cut down. And then during COVID, it was the very heart of it, the right to worship was being uh, suppressed. So I, I do, this is my personal experience that leads me to conclude it is an attempt to get control over people's lives. Uh, Let me ask and, a question. And our founding fathers, our founding fathers understood this. They understood that, and they said that these famous quotes from the likes of John Adams that this our country was made for a, a religious and moral people. They understood for a democracy to work, it's necessary to have a virtuous citizenry. 
If it's going to be a self-governing society, each individual must have self-governance for a people right. to govern themselves. They understood that. And in uh, in my um, my e effort to free up worship here at San Francisco, they, at, at one point, the mayor received a, a letter from the Department of U.S. Department of Justice uh, citing her for keeping religion shut down while everyone else was able to operate. And they threatened legal action if she didn't treat religion at least as equally. And it had one, there's a brilliant letter, but one particular line I, I'd like to cite that says it all. Sure. It's that the Constitution's unyielding protection for religious worshipers distinguished the United States of America from places dominated by tyranny and despotism. So they understood it was religious freedom, allowing people to practice their faith in public because it instills a sense of virtue of moral integrity, that's what keeps tyranny from taking over. And because we're and seeing it fine in this, we're seeing tyranny be taking over. Yes, and this was really addressing what I was going to ask, which is the basic point, why is religion fundamental to society? And I think it, you've answered that uh, in the big sense. I also think it's fundamental uh, in, a, in a more sort of individual sense that to have a moral compass, to have an ethical compass, to lead a, a life uh, that is both meaningful and ethical, it seems to me you need something larger than yourself uh, to aspire to, maybe to guide you. And I think some of us have our own sense of, of morals and ethics. We know right from wrong. But I think most, uh, the biggest benefit to me, and I, I, I can, uh, you know, all full disclosure, I'm not a person who was raised in a religious home, uh, but intellectually, I, I have been interested in religion and the purpose of religion, the value of religion. And I think that the really, it's very important for people, all people, to have an understanding that they're, they're doing something for a larger cause than themselves. And it, Religion, God, uh, morality, uh, these, are, these are very important and essential uh, guideposts to, to leading one's life uh, appropriately. And, I, and I'm, I'm very concerned that we don't have those guideposts now. Once you go toward what may be called a secular society, uh, I, I think you've lost a lot of people who really need a a, a more uh, an anchor like religion, and I think everybody needs an anchor. I'm not just saying people who go to church are the ones who need an anchor, but I think uh, it's it's very important to the fabric of society. I don't even understand why that has to be argued, frankly, uh, but it's it's uh, it it is true. Let me let me uh, sort of finish the last few minutes because I don't want to take too much of your time with this question. Are you sensing that there's a backlash against those who seem to want to marginalize religion? Is there a resurgence of energy toward religion? I think some of us have seen some of the newest movies that have become popular about Jesus Christ. Uh, some of us have seen some churches uh, reporting uh, a massive inflow of young people that want to worship. What, what is your sense of that? I don't know if I would say there's a backlash, but I do see a counter movement. That's I would call it a counter movement. 
you mentioned about young people. For the younger generation, I mean, they're highly, un, as we say, unchurched. You know, they, they're the nuns, right? They have no religious affiliation. But the ones who do are very serious about it. They, they want, and they're drawn to more, to more the traditional forms of worship and, and of belief. They understand the wisdom of it. So um, I see going forward, there's going to be less and less of sort of a wishy-washy middle where they kind of go to church sometimes, but kind of believe some things. When other, it's, I've heard young people say that even very recently. They say in our generation, it's all or nothing. They, they believe seriously and do their best to practice that way, or they're just not interested at all. So this is what I see happening. There's kind of a better definition. It's it's a small percentage, Reason. but it's a clearly identified uh, contingent of young people. And uh, I hope and pray that people of their generation will see that they're living better lives. At the end of the day, they're, they're happier. Their life is harder in some ways, but they're happier because they're living the way God created us to be. He created us for communion, right? He, he created us to worship him and that they'll see that they have something that they want and that they'll draw others. So I, I see this sort of a counter movement. I, I don't see it's like a major backlash or uprising, but it's more incremental. Uh, well, I, I, I will take that as a positive uh, because uh, as I've said many times, and I think you agree, the the pandemic exposed a lot of society's problems here. It didn't necessarily create many, but it certainly exposed them. Yes. Uh, yes. My view personally is I'm shocked at, at what we've what we've seen here, uh, sort of an ethical breakdown in the leadership uh, of our country, uh, and that has created really a, a, a crisis of trust and a lack of, of human decency that, that is very different from when I was a kid. And when you were a kid, I think we're sort of the same vintage. Yes. Uh, so I think the challenge as a country here is to restore that trust and the values that we all want to live in a, in a heterogeneous society uh, with based on decency, based on, on, on a morality uh, that we, uh, we, we thought we used to have here uh, in this country. I'm hoping it can be restored with people That's like you. Thank you. Well, that's why it's important for religion to be a part of public life and not marginalized. Like this, the line from that letter, it's it's protects us from from tyranny. There has to be. You you mentioned about you know just basic decency and and trying to understand other people. These are one does not have to be a religious believer to understand the value of that. But if the society is deprived of a sort of religion being embraced in the society as kind of the influencing cultural factor, then that is going to dissipate. And that's what we're seeing now. Fewer and fewer people believe that. Fewer and fewer, fewer people believe that they should try to understand someone who has a different point of view. I mean, you're a perfect example of that yourself. You're one of the speakers who's been canceled on a college campus. They can't, won't even bear listening to it. Now, in times past, you didn't have to be a religious believer to try to understand the other person with goodwill because religion was kind of the, the primary force uh, forming sort of the, the moral conscience of the society. Now that that's gone, uh, all these other kind of basic values and, and social goods that we all agree to, people of our vintage, as you said, those are disappearing now. Right. Well, we're going to do our best. We don't give up, of course. I know you're a fighter also. 
uh, because it's just too important, frankly. We don't give up. We keep speaking the truth. and we will keep the dialogue going, certainly here, and I hope to have you back on. Thank you very much, Archbishop Cordelioni, for your your time. It's, a, it's always a great honor to speak with you. Thank you. Likewise for me. Thanks for listening to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas. If you want to find out more about today's guest, Archbishop of San Francisco, Salvador Cordelioni, pay attention to the news, check out his commentary, as well as the website of the Archdiocese of San Francisco. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to this show on YouTube, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere else you're listening to podcasts today. And I'll see you next time.